0: Hello and welcome to Pale, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I'm Prashant Paramal, your host for the day. The Supreme Court last week, while hearing a petition demanding the derecognition of political parties that promise irrational freebies to voters, drew attention to the huge fiscal cost that freebies have on state budgets. The SE noted that a legislation banning freebies is not advisable, but at the same time called for a balance between welfare measures and loss to the public exchequer. The Supreme Court's observation comes at a time in the backdrop of the clash between the Bharati Janta Party and the Ham Party on the issue of wasteful spending on freebies. There is also a larger public debate that's happening on how to differentiate between welfare spending from freebies. Uh, to discuss this issue i have with me ms ritika khera an economics professor at the indian institute of technology delhi and mr ana who is the vice chancellor of dr b r ambedkar school of economics university uh, welcome to both of you ritika i'll start with the first question with you and then like banup can join in like my first question like where exactly do we draw the line between like what's a welfare spending one what's a freebie like how do you define it
1: Uh, I think uh, this is not an easy kind of question to answer, because it depends on your perspective, Uh, it depends on where you are on the income distribution scale, and also, uh, you know, even if people are sitting at the top of the income distribution scale, uh, as I do, uh, you could still see something that the petitioner describes as a freebie as actually a welfare measure. You know, I think there's some reference in the petition to the directive principles, not just this petition. Actually, there was a petition in 2013, which has also been invoked in this case, where the Supreme Court had dismissed the case, saying that uh, this is not something that the court can do. Uh, This is a question of democratic debate and discussion. And it depends on the context, uh, the time in which you're having this discussion. So I think that is one thing that The directive principles can certainly guide state policy. But I think that it is not possible to clearly say this is welfare and this is a freebie. And uh, we can take one example from the DMK response to this petition in court where they refer to electricity, uh, which is also one of the things that the petitioner objects to uh, as a freebie. And the DMK response is saying that, look, electricity can provide you clean fuel in the house, It can keep you warm. Uh, It can help a child study. Uh, So there are all kinds of, you know, ripple effects uh, that something on a prima facie may look like a freebie to someone who is privileged Uh, for a poor person. Actually, it may be much more than that. It may be uh, something that enhances their capacity for future earnings.
2: Yeah, broadly, I agree with uh, what Ritika is saying. I think... past uh, two weeks have been very hectic in terms of uh, understanding what is uh, this freebie mean. So I was trying to put it in a different perspective. Of course, it has uh, many uh, dimensions of that because you have politics, you have electoral issues and all those things. But uh, we limit ourselves to the economic and public policy related. So if you want to define what is a freebie, in my view, I think any public policy intervention that will lead to long-term impact on um, you know production as well as productivity. I think that should be the the concept um, I think we need to bring in so anything any public policy intervention that doesn't support the medium term to long term production and productivity may be termed as a freebie I mean at least from the economics point of view. so in that context the discussion is very very important right now, There are many states or, you know, even the central government for that matter, they do have some policies which doesn't really need to support the production and productivity concept that I'm saying. And overall, I think, um, you know, the way some states are doing, I I would certainly think that it's very important to discuss and debate this issue. And um, we need to have some kind of institutional Mm -hmm. mechanism to control, if at all there are some Governments are actually, um, you know, uh, letting their purse loose to uh, spend on some of the kind of things that, um, I mean, we just talked about electricity. I do think that electricity is certainly a a one of the things that would lead to perverse utilization of, um, you know, the resources. So I don't think there is a need. For, um, you know, electricity. Like, you know, we see that many parties now started saying that um, you'll get free electricity. Even for a state like Gujarat, I think there's some, some part, party has actually uh, made it as a, you know, election issue. So again, as Ritika pointed out, it's also important to understand and identify who can be the beneficiary of that particular public policy. Now, you cannot have a blanket policy say that, you know, you'll have um, free electricity for all, right? So, I think there is a need to identify the policies that have a long-term impact. And at the same time, there is a need to identify the beneficiaries as well.
1: Can I quickly add a postscript?
2: Sure, sure.
1: Yeah. So, uh, when I brought up the DMK response uh, on electricity, I'm not necessarily endorsing electricity uh, as you know, a justified expenditure. What I'm trying to say is that it's not... Uh always evident from public discussions uh, whether this policy is well thought out and who is benefiting from it. The second thing on specifically the issue of electricity or free electricity, uh, there are different models of doing it. So I think the Delhi government's model of saying that if your consumption is below a certain threshold, then until that threshold, you will be given free electricity. The minute you cross that threshold, then you are charged at a lower rate for all the units that you have consumed. So there are different ways of uh, also providing uh, these goods and services, whether they are public or private uh, goods and services. Thank
0: you, Mr. Irangirli. Like, my next question is: like, How do you look at the uh, fiscal picture? Like, are we like, uh, in your opinion, are we like spending too much on uh, welfare of DBS, whatever it is? Uh, because there have been a lot of comparisons with uh, since Sri Lanka has happened. So a lot of people are like. Maybe India is going down the same road, stuff like that. I mean, there are like speculations about that. So, do you think the fiscal picture in India is so bad here, Mr. Mahmoodi?
2: Okay, so um, first of all, uh, let us understand what's happening to the fiscal situation of the states. You now, especially after the 14th Finance Commission, you know, we all uh, agree that you know uh, the center has a one-size-fits-all policy, so we should allow the states to. Uh, have more resources and decide what they need to do. So if you take uh, any analysis from from 2014, where uh, the states were given a 10% additional untied kind of devolution, and if you look at uh, post that, you know, if studies after the studies have actually showed that the social sector expenditure at the state level is declining, you know, this is something I'm not able to really comprehend, Especially when the states were given more resources and, uh, and we all know that health and education is a very important sectors to be funded by the state governments. Now we see that the, uh, you know, allocation to those states are actually declining. So I think one, while one can argue that uh, there is a need to spend more resources, for the welfare schemes and especially in the social sector and I mean, um, yeah, education and health. But at the same time, we also need to understand to what extent the state governments can spend and um, is there a need for a kind of a conditional grants? I mean, I think we certainly need to look at whether we should continue to have these untied grants or we need to have some kind of a conditions, especially when it comes to uh, the social sector expenditure. I think uh, the the RBA report last month is certainly um, uh, bringing in the issues of the state uh, fiscal situation. In in the past, we used to talk about only three states. Now we are talking about five states. And I think going forward, we we are going to add many more states uh, into into the basket where uh, you're going to see the fiscal pressure. So ultimately, I think we need to keep track of, um, you know, uh, the allocation to the social sector. But at the same time, I think it is high time we start talking about uh, public expenditure efficiency in this country. I think we are uh, more uh, obsessed with allocations. We are more uh, obsessed with, uh, you know, what is the extent of resource that we spend on education and health. But I think we also need to talk about how we are spending. i just give one simple example. By allocating, I don't think we are going to really ensure the expenditure. In the classic case is the most activist government in the country, which is um, the Delhi government, uh, they had to return more than 20% of the education allocation last year. So I think we need to really uh, get into the micro details and when we need to see what are the requirements, what are the needs of the people, what are the needs of the cohorts of the people. And ag- accordingly, I think we need to really plan our expenditure. Other, otherwise, the kind of thing that the status quo right now that we have, I don't think is going to help us in achieving any of the social sector targets that we have been trying for quite some time. Ms. Kerat, do you want to chip in or
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, let me start by saying that uh, and actually reiterating what Professor Banu has said that our welfare spending uh, in India is woefully low. It is low in comparison to other developing countries, and it is also, as he said, declining in many states. I think even at the central level, welfare spending, uh, at least in the sectors that I track, has been declining. That's number one. But Beyond that, I want to reframe this question a little bit. Whenever we talk about welfare spending, and this includes the Supreme Court and all these discussions that have been happening, we only focus on are we spending too little or too much. We never discuss are we raising enough revenues in the first place. Why is that question not asked in the Indian context when we know that, in fact, we are not doing enough on the revenue front uh, and we are not doing enough both in terms of policy as well as implementation? For instance, the income tax base has been more or less stagnant in spite of these high Uh, growth, even during the high growth rate period that we experienced until a few years ago. Uh, But there are also many tax instruments that we are not using at all in India. We don't have a wealth tax, estate tax, inheritance tax. Property taxes in India are very low compared to other countries. So uh, if we were raising more revenues, then we would have more to spend, more to redistribute. And I think that is really a very crucial question, which is getting left out time and again. Uh, in these debates that we have. And this, this is as much an economic question as it is a political question because these debates are happening amongst the elite and the elite and privileged don't want to talk about these issues because they will end up paying these taxes. So I think this part we have to recognize, uh, and also highlight quite strongly in these, uh, discussions and debates. And just very finally, you had referred in passing to what happened in Sri Lanka. But I'm not really sure that the fiscal situation there the, was triggered by welfare spending. There were 10 other things happening there which uh, led to the crisis uh, in Sri Lanka. So, I I would hesitate to bring Sri Lanka's situation into this debate over here.
2: Prashad, can I add a little bit on the, the Sri Lanka issue? Sure. I mean, it would be unfair for us to really compare uh, Sri Lanka, I mean India with Sri Lanka. But I think uh, certainly there are some lessons to be learned. Uh, especially when we look at what's happening in Sri Lanka, I think it's high time again. We need to start talking about the uh, liabilities of the governments, right? We always talk about fiscal deficit, revenue deficit, GDP growth, GSTP growth. But I think the most crucial variable in my view in in this whole debate is the public debt or what is called as outstanding liabilities no until unless we don't bring that concept in our public discourse so we can keep talking about today tomorrow but i think uh, after 5 years or 6 years you know you will see that you know your uh, the fiscal situation deteriorated not because of the you know the fiscal deficit of that particular year but it is about it is about the, the public debt stock which is actually accumulating over a period of time and, um, and that is exactly what rbi is highlighting you know some of the states are actually Having a public debt to GDP ratio of more than 40%, which in in fact that is not the true picture. In fact, they also started borrowing in a very very innovative way, and um, the off-budget liabilities of the states are actually increasing, while the central government was trying to uh, bring that whole off-budget liabilities towards, I mean, in the books of accounts, so that there'll be some kind of a, a clean fiscal situation. So I think the state some of the states certainly needs to be monitored and i think at the same time they also need to be handholded so otherwise um you know if in, instead of five states some 10 states become get into that kind of a risky fiscal situation then um, we will face a similar thing that's happening uh in our borders
0: okay uh, i actually have a question related to that like since you talked about states finances like this the general perception around this petition that Uh, It's the states that are overspending on welfare measures and the centers are comparatively much more conservative. Do you think there's truth to
2: that? Uh, See, that's again, uh, um, again, I think that, you know, the 2014 is certainly what is the period we need to really keep in mind when we talk about the state fiscal situation. In the before 2014, I think we all know that uh, state governments used to spend more resources on capital expenditure, right? I mean historically we know that they used to spend more resources on capital expenditure. But um, but post for 2014, both the uh, you know the capital expenditure is also declining and also the social sector expenditure is declining. I think this is where you know the concern is uh, ultimately it looks like the state governments are taking a very easy path of spending the resources um, you know uh, the one, one is that you know that's where I think that's exactly where we came now. Uh, that's the reason we are debating about these whole freebies. And as Ritika mentioned, uh, it's also lead to decline in the, you know, own tax resources as well, because you are not spending on the production, productive activities. And that ends up in uh, that that actually dries down your uh, revenues also. So I think the pressure seems to be both on the revenue side as well as uh, on the expenditure side. But on a broad, uh, you know, debate, uh, Prashant, I just wanted to bring one small thing. And um, it's good that uh, Ritika brought this issue. Uh, Ultimately, we need to have, you know, a good framework where this, uh, you know, you can build some kind of a tax benefit models such a way that at the end, you know, you would have much better resources for, Uh, more social sector expenditure, and at the same time, you ensure medium-term debt sustainability. I think, again and again, I would like to bring back this particular concept of debt sustainability because we we talked about Sri Lanka, even January, February, March, even we never thought that Sri Lanka will get into that kind of a situation. Now, we know that when Bangladesh is getting into the situation, right, we know that Bangladesh has been growing very fast, but at the same time, they were building up their public debt, and I think... um, that's leading them to uh, go to IMF and other uh, funding. So I think it's very very important we keep medium term debt sustainability as the core of the public policy in this country. Ithika, would you like to chip in? Or?
1: Yeah. So I just quickly re- want to re- uh, repeat something that I said earlier, which is uh, actually that you know redistribution is a key function or a core function of the government. This question must uh, or this issue must be brought into the debate when we say that we want redistribution especially in a country like india where inequality is very very high no matter which dimension you look at income wealth education all kinds of things then you have to start looking at how are you going to redistribute and in that redistribution question it is not just raising revenues from product by expanding your productive base It is also raising revenues through redistributive taxations, which is the kind of taxation that will affect the wealthiest people, the richest people in this country. Uh, And that is, again, like I said before, through wealth tax, inheritance taxes, uh, property taxes, all of which are either absent or extremely underutilized in the Indian context.
0: Okay. My next question is, since both of you mentioned about the need to... uh Raise more revenues. Do you think there's room in the Indian context to actually, uh, like, because, uh, because considering that India is still developing, and do you think at this stage it would make sense to actually raise taxes and t- try more redistribution? Any of you can take the question, yeah. Mr. Muthi or Mr. Thera?
2: See, see. I think you know if you look at again, we need to understand the tax gap analysis. We all know that you know just. Um, uh, less than six percent of the people pay income tax in this country. So, but I think these are very, very long-term issues. There are so many policies that have been brought in, and um, you know there are um, so many institutions who have been brought in. So much of technology has been brought in to really address uh, this whole issue of widening the tax base. Now, that is one side of the story. But on the, I think that's on the direct taxes, uh, we're still not able to succeed on that. But I think on the in- indirect taxes i certainly feel that gst is going to be a game changer and uh, of course there are a lot of issues um, you know there are many issues in terms of um, even after 5 years we still t- say that uh, there are teething issues but i think it will take it will take some more time to really stabilize but um, i think and it's immediately what is that that we can do at this particular point of time in my view i think the best thing that can do that, um, you know, the incentive that can be provided to the people is to see some, you know, you create more employment generation activities. I think that should be the focus right now. And, um, you know, there are so much of incentives have been provided towards that direction as part of the Atmanir Bharat. And um, we know, again, there are, you know, issues. Like, for example, everybody was talking about, providing incentive for the MSME sector and all those things. But ultimately, when the government or the RBI has provided more resources for the MSMEs, but you you, you see that even after two years, uh, they could not completely, you know, distribute or, I mean, uh, allocate that resources of 3 lakh crore. So I think all these things seems to be happening because we are not really sure where are the areas where the public policy intervention can be provided so that um, you know, uh, we can overcome the kind of um, the slowdown in the economic activity, and also we can overcome some of the distress uh, the people have faced uh, during the COVID and uh, um, post-COVID situation. So it's 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 basically identifying and um, you know you know allocating resources with uh, more of evidence. I think I think evidence-based public policy intervention is something that need to be a focus right now. Ms. Kera?
1: So, um you know, there is an old paper by Piketty and his co- co-author Xian, where they say that one of the reasons that India has not been able to expand its income tax base, like China or Brazil, which were at that time already around 8%, uh, this is about 10 years, 15 years ago, uh, one is that the exemption limit keeps getting raised year after year. Uh and already Professor Bhanamuti mentioned that you know only six odd percent in, in Indians are paying income tax. Now there is clearly a compliance issue as well. Are we to believe that there are only six percent Indians who are you know, who are above the threshold for the income tax. uh, Either if it is true, then this is a very serious situation. It tells you about how dire the conditions are. Uh, And, uh, you know, if more than that are earning more than three lakh rupees, then or whatever the threshold is, then basically we have a serious lack of compliance with income tax. So that is one very clear source. I'm not saying raise income tax rates, but at least implement uh, and have better compliance you know during covid there was one estimate that the average net worth of 953 richest indians was more than 5,000 crores uh, and that's about one quarter of the gdp yeah their the combined net worth and if you levy a one per, one time 4% wealth tax on them you could get 1% of gdp so just to give you a sense that just on 1000 people a one time tax wealth tax of 4% can yield 1% of GDP, which is not something to scoff at. Similarly, again, to put things in perspective, uh, we are raising, uh, whatever latest estimates suggest, we are raising 1% of GDP through property tax, whereas the developing country average is 0.6%. And in OECD countries, it is 2% coming through property taxes. So again, here, there is great scope. Like I said, these are as much economic questions as they're political or legal constitutional questions. We have to forefront the redistributive role of the government. And given that, we have to then start thinking about where are the resources? They are locked up in the top 2 or 5 or 10% of the uh, country, of the population, and there has to be some redistribution. The unfortunate thing actually there is that a lot of people who are sitting at the top of the income distribution or the distribution, uh, they actually think of themselves as middle class and therefore they grudge any taxes. I think they don't realize that the tail behind them is much longer because they think that there's only Adani and Nambani who are rich and that Uh, people like me who are in government jobs we all a lot of people here think of themselves as middle class but if you use the uh, Piketty's uh, you know the lab in Paris they have that world inequality database they have a tool where you can put your income and uh, if I put my income there then I end up in the top two or three or five percent of the population on my government salary. So I think we need some perspective. And as Professor Bhanumurthy said that this discussion has to happen with data. Uh, and this is an important data point. Where are you on the income distribution or in the, you know, the distribution of the population of the country and also greater awareness of the living conditions of those who are getting the, you know, who are in need of uh, greater welfare spending from the government. So I think the, there is ample scope uh there are many station instruments which are not being utilized enough or at all uh and that uh, if we commit ourselves to you know a fairer distribution uh and less e- unequal society then we can certainly find the resources for greater redistributive uh, measures and welfare spending
2: just to add uh, prashant um, you know if, uh, there are some news items i have seen that uh, the government is actually looking at how to uh, remove all those uh, multiple exemptions, tax exemptions that is existing right now, because that seems to be act, uh, almost like a perverse incentives right now. So that is one thing. The second thing is, in terms of the tax revenues, uh, while we do see that, uh, the, particularly the non-tax revenue component, while we do see that there is a growth, um, a significant growth at the central government level and the non-tax revenue side, but at the state government level and also at the third time, I think there is a substantial decline in over a period of time. So I think although uh, the finance commissions keep uh, providing some incentives, uh, you know, with respect to benchmarking uh, non-tax revenue uh, resources, um, I don't see the state's governments are actually taking advantage of that. That means there is there is no, in, uh, the, the kind of incentive the Finance Commission is giving, I don't think that's helping the state governments to really uh, generate more on the non-tax. Particularly when you look at the third type, certainly they, I don't think there is any, I'm not sure they're anywhere interested in getting that kind of a incentives um, at the third So, I think these are the two areas I think we certainly need to have a focus and for that, I'll come back to the institutional mechanism. So, we start really feeling that the absence of planning commission actually. So, I do hope um, there'll be some discussion on how to bring some institutions at the top where they ensure all this, um, the redistribution or the tax-related issues, both at the central state as well as the third tier governments.
1: Can I also quickly add something, Professor? Sure,
2: sure yeah.
1: Banu Urti mentioned, you know, these uh, tax exemptions. So, you know, the court has also said that you have to balance between welfare spending and the, you know, concern, fiscal concerns that we have. I would also say, why is in the court saying that we have to balance the SOPs that are given to the privileged with the fiscal concerns that we have? if there is no possibility of raising more revenues and if you have to cut your expenditures then clearly and you have a redistributive role to play then clearly you should cut the money that is flowing to the privileged and it is flowing in many different ways one is of course these big bad loan waivers the uh, you know the big ones that are given to uh, big uh, uh, corporations or whatever it is. Uh, but there is also the corporate tax exempt uh, reduction in corporate taxes um and there are things like the vanity projects that the government has been many governments have been spending on whether it are, whether it these big statues which go into thousands of crores central vista bullet trains uh but also uh, on a more micro basis you know for instance for people in government service like me there's something uh, called child care leave for up to two years you know i understand and i fully support uh in fact not just the existence but even the expansion of maternity benefits. Uh, But uh, what is this two years of paid leave for child care? Uh, Why should that not be questioned? So there are many SOPs, I would call them, that are going, flowing to the most privileged in this country, which should be the first ones uh, where the axe falls if there is no possibility of raising revenues and expenditures have to be cut.
2: Prashant, uh, can I get in for a half a minute? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so I think this, I mean, this is another important issue. In, uh, you know, in our discourse, we also have what is this called, um, there's so much of subsidies. I mean, I mean, there are so many schemes. Uh, unfortunately, subsidy has become a bad word in this country, although it's certainly needed in some areas. But, um, one area I think which is very important for us to look at is implicit subsidies, that which is mostly a non-merit subsidies, uh, is there in across the sectors. And um, we have uh, studies after studies, especially by uh, Professor Govindrao and uh, Professor Sudipto Mandal. They have done a series of studies and showed even today in India we have more than eight percent of GDP actually goes as an implicit subsidy. Okay, they estimated at the sectoral level. They also estimated at the state level. No, I think these are the areas. This implicit subsidy actually uh, both me and Ritika actually beneficiary of those things. So I think we need to really look at whether those implicit subsidies can be reduced so that you, know, you get more resources for the welfare or social sector expenditure. Um, I think certainly we start looking at reducing the non merit subsidies and shift that for the social sector expenditure.
0: Thank you, Mr. Munpi. thanks, Mr. Ritik, as well. Yeah, I think yeah, we got a good collection. Yeah, thank you.